and welcome to Myth Monsters. My name is Erin and I'll be your host for these little snack bite-sized podcasts on folklore and mythical monsters from around the world. These podcasts focus on the actual cryptids, folklore and mythic monsters from global mythology, rather than focusing on the full stories of heroes and their big adventures. I'll also be dropping in some references that they have to a recent culture and where you can see these represented in modern day content so that you can learn more and get as obsessed as I am about these absolute legends of the mythological world. I hope you're having a lovely May so far. Anyone in the UK will tell you that we're having a great time because three out of five Mondays this month are bank holidays with the coronation included, so that's always fun. Going off of that, this monster this week is pretty kingly in terms of the coronation, as they were used by a god, I suppose. But we're staying underwater and we are looking at the wonderful hippocampus this week. The hippocampus is generally described as a seahorse-adjacent beast of the depths, with blue or green skin, a horse-like head and upper body shape, and the tail of a fish instead of back legs. Its front legs are sometimes described as hooves, but most commonly as webbed, and they have long flowing manes and a long fin running from their torso to the end of their tail, very similarly to traditional mermaids. They are also fully scaled and sometimes are depicted with wings, which they can also use underwater. They are also horse-sized rather than their aquatic namesake, which of course are immensely small, and are known to be extremely strong and fast in the water. Most importantly, they are immortal and are god-favoured creatures with very few natural predators. They are able to live in both fresh and salt water, but are more likely to be in the ocean and much larger bodies of water. They are said to keep to herds of around 10, with one lone stallion and then a whole load of mares and foals, so are considered quite social creatures, very much like normal horses. They do not need air and are completely aquatic, and only really algae and seaweed, and so they only really come to the surface if this is lacking under the waves. In terms of powers, They are very strong and very fast, but they are also able to control the water around them, including summoning huge waves to crash ships or propel them faster. They could also in turn control the weather around them, mostly by either calming or creating storms. But there are actually debates on whether they could shapeshift into usual horses, but if they did, they were immensely clumsy on land, definitely standing out amongst normal land horses. They are also completely benevolent and are known for rescuing stranded men out of the sea, sea creatures or saving sailors from sea monsters and from drowning, having them mount their backs whilst they rode them back to shore. However, if you mess with them, they did have a really powerful bite and could leave you to drown, I suppose. But they were very trusted by seafaring folk and trusted by the gods as messengers, mounts and rescuers. Where did they come from though? Were they a godly blessing or are they mutated seahorses? It was truly believed that they were natural creatures as they were so firmly believed in back in ancient Greece and were very much considered animals of the gods because they were just so beautiful and kind. There was another theory though and that's that they were born of the crest of sea waves which I also think is pretty cool. I don't have anything else on that, that's just a theory. Now, in terms of etymology, it's a pretty good one this week. Hippocampus comes from two Greek words, hippos meaning horse and kampos meaning sea monster, making this horse sea monster. However, 
In Greek, the word altogether means seahorse, like the creature we know and love. And this is still used as the actual term for seahorses to this day. Their normal species name is Hippocampus and then their type. So that's a pretty cool fact. There is an argument to be made about what the plural of Hippocampus is, because it can be Hippocampus, but it can also be Hippocampi. The singular can also just be Hippocamp rather than Hippocampus, so just in case you've heard all of those variations, I'm talking about the same monster, and I'm not incorrect, but you're also not incorrect if you were expecting Hippocamp. It's just how it is. There are loads of different ones. In terms of their history, as we know, they are pretty ancient as they are an ancient Greek monster, so we don't have anything specific in terms of dates. What I can tell you is that the ancient Greeks were around between the 12th and the 9th century, so they are really, really old. And although I can't specify when and how they came into being, I can tell you some ancient stories and myths behind them. The Hippocampus were most famous for being mounts of the gods, most favourably Poseidon, the Greek god of the sea. Poseidon absolutely loved these creatures, and he used them as his chariot bearers across the seven seas, and sometimes even across land. He apparently even rode across Libya from the sea across the sands, which I imagine must have been a pretty cool sight. It was even said that the legendary Orion, e.g. Orion's Belt, rode the chariot of Poseidon in the Argonautica written by Flaccus. It said Orion, when grasping his father's reins, heaves the sea with the snorting of his two-hooved horses. But I would like to bear in mind that Orion was one of Zeus's children, not Poseidon. Poseidon, though, just used to cut himself and his wife Amphitrite and their children around in it. Another character who had a hippocampus was Thetis, who was an ocean nereid or nymph, and the mother of the hero Achilles. We'll cover nymphs in another episode down the line, although they are verging on god, but very much considered lesser goddesses of nature, and they had their own elements based on who birthed them. We will get to them another time. Thetis was a sea nymph and one of the 50 Nereids born of the Greek sea titan Nereus and the Oceanid Doris. These creatures lived and worked alongside Poseidon when the titans were overthrown, and Thetis was no different. However, she was married off to a mortal king, much to the behest of both Zeus and Poseidon, and eventually then had Achilles. She was actually the one who dipped him in the river Styx to make him immortal, all to of course his heel, yada yada yada. You probably know the story, I'm not going to go into Achilles and his wonderful feats. Anyway, how does this relate to the hippocampus area, I hear you ask? Well, Thetis got one because she was technically a lesser goddess, and when Achilles lost his love on the battlefield, Thetis screamed in grief with her 49 sisters, and in anger sent off her hippocampus to Olympus to retrieve the armaments of Hephaestus, god of blacksmithing, to arm her son up for revenge. This was actually a massively pivotal point within the story of Achilles, because these weapons made him pretty much a killing machine, so much so that even Zeus was scared of him at one point. Thetis couldn't have gone and gotten the armaments by herself from Olympus, but the hippocamp could pass between the worlds as they are considered those godly mounts, they kind of go unnoticed, whilst nymphs don't really count as gods themselves, and are technically banned from Olympus. Only gods can step foot on Mount Olympus without explicit permission. 
but I think it's a really nice nod to a very respected and trusted monster within mythology. That's about it in terms of them being included in myth, but they have been massively used in heraldry since the Renaissance and within classic art, but they are actually most likely to be seen in modern times with their goatly counterpart, Capricorn. You'll know this creature if you were born between December 22nd and January 19th as your star sign creature, but the Capricorn is a mythical beast unto itself, being traditionally half goat and half fish. Now these monsters, as you can probably imagine, are sometimes even interchanged, but they are two separate beings, and we will cover the Capricorn in another episode down the line. Maybe I'll even do a Zodiac special, wouldn't that be fun? But in terms of real-life comparisons though, we can only really link this monster to its very clear counterpart, and namesake, the seahorse. Seahorses are literally called Hippocampus, and they were named so because of their equine appearance, but they are also considered to be bony fish, as they don't have scales but bony ringed plates all over their skeleton. You can definitely see the resemblance with this creature and our beloved seahorses, but the size difference is pretty insane. Most seahorses get to about 6 inches long at best, and can only reach around 14 inches as an absolute maximum, so to be able to ride these would be practically impossible. But I'm pretty sure if you were to find a hippocampus now, it would probably just be a seahorse, but I'm not sure if you would be able to find one as big as they were mentioning in this myth. Lastly though, a fun fact about Hippocampus, you might have heard it before and don't know anything about this creature. Well, that's because there is a section of human anatomy that is named after it, the Hippocampus segment of all of our brains. This part is one of the most integral to human culture, as it's our memory bank. It's right in the centre of both halves of our brain, and has a C-shaped-like structure, which is why it was given its name after the shape of our legendary water beast because of that nice little curly fish tail, I suppose. Now, on to modern media. We actually have quite a few this week, so buckle in. For art, I would really recommend looking at independent stuff this week, only because there are very few official portraits of them, even though they are really old. But you can find older stuff in mosaics and pottery for these kind of monsters, but I wouldn't recommend going and hunting for them. It's very difficult to find without a name. But there is also a fantastic sculpture of the Hippocampus made by Mardi Storm for the Burning Man Festival back in 2002. And of course, the Trevi Fountain in Rome also has Hippocampi on it, which I think is pretty cool. In movies, we have My Little Pony, Equestria Girls, Rainbow Rocks, My Little Pony, the movie, Aquaman, Percy Jackson and the Sea of Monsters, The Little Mermaid and The Water Horse. I'm not sure if it's in the new Little Mermaid, but they're in the old Little Mermaid from 89. For TV, we have Saint Seiya, Mermaid Melody, Peachy Peachy Peachy, Eleanor of Avalor, Mia and Me, My Little Pony, Princess Guinevere and the Jewel Riders, and Terry Toons. And in video games, we have ones such as World of Warcraft, La Mulana, Shadowverse, Tiny of Castle, Cold Sept, Age of Mythology, Final Fantasy 3, Scribblenauts Unlimited, Flight Rising, God of War 3, Shin Megami Tensei, Valley of Unicorns, Magi Stream, Grandia, Farmville, and Archage. 
Now, my book recommendation this week is to have a look at Mythical Creatures and Magical Beasts, an illustrated book of monsters from timeless folktales, folklore and mythology, volume one and two by Zayden Stone, who wrote a massive five book collection on mythology, but these two are specifically about monsters and they cover the hippocampus in there. I really recommend them for some monstrous facts on all of our favourite monsters, but it does also specifically go into the hippocampus and other Greek monsters. My recommendation for Greek monsters is always the same. It's always going to be Stephen Fry's Heroes and Mythos. They get covered in there. They're fantastic books. I really, really recommend them. And Stephen Fry is just a treasure, truly, to the British Isles. But now it's time for Do I Think They Existed? Before I get into this, I need to say that I really love this monster. The idea of this amazing and trustworthy sea mount is super cool. However, do I think it's real? Probably not, I'm so sorry. And usually I would give sea monsters the benefit of the doubt, but I think because this one is horse-based and so close to an actual creature that we have, it's just not hitting the minimum criteria in my brain somewhere. I think it's just more of a natural comparison to the seahorse itself, but it also makes them more mythical. The idea of a normal-sized horse in the sea able to give you lifts across the Atlantic would be a real dream, and because of how they compare to tiny seahorses and real land horses, you can totally see it. And of course, the namesake of horse is in there. But horses, whilst they will swim, are not massively fond of water, and they wouldn't survive long-term in it without getting something like trench foot, I suppose. Or drowning. You know, they do need oxygen. I will say, though, if you are a World of Warcraft fan like me, and I assume there's some of you, there is a whole zone in the game called Vashir, which is an underwater zone, and they give you a hippocampus in-game to ride on, and it's possibly one of the coolest mounts I have. And considering I've been playing for, like, 12 years... I've collected a lot of mounts, and it is still one of my absolute favourites. This part of the game is from 2010, so it's pretty old now as well, but it is still one of my favourite places to level, because I get to zip round on my little helper campus, and it's pretty cool, and the main enemy is a naga, which you know that I absolutely adore, so it's a win-win overall. But what do you think? Did the hippocampus roam the seas of ancient Greece, or even now? Let me know on Twitter, I would love to know what you think about this one. I am so easy when it comes to my favourite monsters. As long as they're Greek and water-based, they're pretty solid for me to enjoy at the least. I hope you have too, it's certainly been one of my favourites to research. But next week we are staying in Europe and coming over onto the west side in Belgium and Holland for the Bokken Riders. Grab your goats and get riding through the sky with these huntsmen and thieves next Thursday. It's a really different one. I'm actually really excited for you to hear this. Now, before I give up my goat on this episode, I've added this part very last minute. This is Thursday morning I'm adding this. I want to do a big dedication to my wonderful friends Anna and Francisco, who consistently help me with Portuguese language bits and Portuguese monsters. They had their first child, Tomash, this morning. So very excited to meet him and just wanted to do a little dedication to this tiny, tiny baby who came into the world at three o'clock this morning. So congratulations and a big dedication to him. I hope he listens to this when he's older and remembers how cool his aunt Erin was. That would be great. But for now, thank you so much for listening. It's been an absolute pleasure. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, please give it a rating on the service you are listening on. I've got the Twitter for any questions or suggestions on what monsters to cover next, and I'd really love to hear from you. The social media handles for TikTok, YouTube and Instagram are Myth Monsters Podcast, and the Twitter is Myth Monsters Pod. But all of our content can always be found at mythmonsters.co.uk, and you can find us on Good Pods, buy me a coffee and Patreon if you want to help me fund the podcast too. Come join the fun though, share this with your pals, they might love me as much as you do. But for now, stay spooky. And I'll see you later, babes. Bye.